may be seated. Y'all are very special. You get to get part two of the amazing right here, right now. You ready for some more? Yeah, you're a hungry bunch, I can tell. That's because you didn't eat before you came, right? So you need afterwards. I'm running, my time is short tonight, so stay with me. We're going to be moving quickly tonight. I shared and opened last week that I was sitting in my prayer room meditating on John chapter 14 when Jesus was reminding the disciples that he would be leaving and that he was going away to prepare a very special place for them. I call it the amazing house that he was going to prepare for them. And I began to roll the scriptures over and over in my heart and mind about heaven and reminding myself that my true home is in heaven. It's not the roof I'm under and it's not the town I live in. My true home is in heaven. And the Holy Spirit broke through at that moment and said that the Father has some things to share with you that the church needs to focus on in 2023. And when he said that and began to unfold some of it, I knew how important it was going to be to all of us. And some of them would be a bit sensitive because we can be sensitive people when we're told we need to make a change we don't want to make. And so the Lord began to speak to me about those things. And I pinned this in that moment. Jesus doesn't, and this won't be on the screen. This was last week. I'm just doing a real brief review. Jesus doesn't just prepare a home for us in heaven. He wants to prepare the home, his home in us. We need to remember the reality that God is our God. His son is with him. He is preparing a home for us in heaven. But what we need to understand is he wants to build his home in us right here. And he wants to bring to us the amazing right here, right now, and not tomorrow. But there's some things that we're going to need to change. There's some things the church needs to do better. And who's the church? It's not a building. It's us. And there's some things we need to clean up. And he said, in this time, he's, this piece that he was speaking to me, that it is time for us to recognize that he's wanting to provide some things to us and we are robbing ourselves from it because there are some things we're not cleaning up. There's some things we're not doing well as we should. There are some things we're just not addressing. And it's not the Father that is lacking in trying to give us something. I like to say it this way because this is what's happening. We're blocking what the Father is trying to give to us. We're blocking it. And so he wants to provide for us what the world cannot. I asked the question last week, are we letting him? Then I asked the bigger question, are we robbing ourselves of it? And I answered the question for us, yes, more than we, than we realize, more often than we should. Uh, we're robbing ourselves of what God is trying to do for us because he wants to give us the amazing right here, right now. And so we looked at the very first thing that God had spoken to me about the, what the church needed to clean up in 2023, and that was that we have got to let go of control. Big issue. We've got to let go of control. And another way of saying that, we like to simplify it down and say we've got to humble ourselves. But I know no better way to humble ourselves in, in the purest way than to live a crucified life. Meaning that I am going to have to crucify my will daily for his will. Now, we're going to step into part two of 
the amazing right here, right now. And part two, and the subject I'm going to touch on is directly connected with living the crucified life because you're going to have to walk out the crucified life to do number two. And I'm going to say up front, number two is not the easiest thing to do. Sometimes. Matter of fact, you may have to have people walk with you on a journey to fulfill number two. And I'm going to make that more clear here in a moment. But what I want to do in part two, and the second thing that God spoke to me, I want to talk to you concerning it in the context of legacy. Now, I want to ask the question, when was the last time that you sat down and really thought about the legacy that you're going to leave for those who follow after you? What is the legacy you're going to leave for those who follow after you? Now, right up front, I want you to know that I am not talking about wealth and physical assets. I'm not talking about money. So now rethink the question, what are you going to leave as a legacy to those who follow after you? I love what... Steve Green said, the founder of Hobby Lobby, he stated this, and I'm going to read his state, what he stated. Only 30% of family businesses survive into the next generation. So I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about wealth and physical assets. I want to talk about something that's way more important. And it leads me to my first pen truth tonight. True legacy is found in our values, character, and spiritual impact on those around us and those who will come after us. I'm going to say it again. True legacy is found in our values, character, and spiritual impact. True legacy. So I want to talk to you as we address number two about leaving a legacy that counts. You define legacy and you find several good definitions, and one of the best that I believe is this one, just a very simple definition of legacy, is something handed down from one generation to the next. So what are we going to hand down to the next generation? You can leave them wealth, you can leave them physical assets, you can leave them money, but there are some character things that we have got to start leaving, and we've got to be the example and the model for it. We've got to start leaving some values that are greater than money, assets, and wealth. And we need to start modeling it for the next generation. And there's some spiritual impact that's not taking place that we need to begin to walk out and be the impact, and they need that more than they need the money, the wealth, or the physical assets. So what is our legacy going to be? What would we leave behind? Here's the the bigger question on my side of the fence that I ask myself. How will you be remembered? How will you be remembered in character, values, and spiritual impact? How will you be remembered? Well, I'm going to share something with you. What I have is a set goal as far as what I want to be remembered, how I want to be remembered. It is wrapped in Values, character, and spiritual impact. And I'm going to challenge you to begin to pin what is it that you want to leave 
when it comes to values, character, and spiritual impact. My kids know what I'm about to tell you very well because I have shared it with them. I've shared it with my grandchildren that understand it. And when the others get old enough, I'll be sharing it with them. Why would you do that? Because there's a level of accountability that comes when I tell them, this is what I want to leave, this is how I want to be, and they can be a reminder to me whether I'm doing it or not. We need to hold ourselves accountable. And I'm letting my kids, my son-in-laws, my daughter-in-law, and my grandkids hold me accountable. Because I have something I want to leave. I want to leave something other than money, wealth, and assets. I want to leave them with values that will change the world, a character that will get them through the hard times, and a spiritual impact that will turn the world upside down. What kind of spiritual legacy are we going to leave? Number one, what do I want to leave? I want it to be said that he never gave up, caved in, or quit. Oh, come on, that's the, I mean, we all face that. I want it to be said, number two, he contended for the gospel of Christ at all cost. Boy, that needs to up in the church. <laughs> Just being honest. Yeah, we're all for the gospel, so there's a, the cost gets too much, and then the scattering starts. I said that, so you can hold me accountable for that comment. Number three, he contended for the vision of NEC, the church God called us to plant. He refused to let it be hijacked. I, I have, just for a moment, I'll speak to the business people that may be in the room right now. God gave you a vision for your business. Do not let it be hijacked. If you got a firm vision from the Father God on how you're to run that business, don't you let anybody hijack it. You stay the course and God will bless it abundantly. And it won't always be fun, but it'll be worth it. And all of us can apply that in our lives. Number four, he loved well all kinds of people. I really wanted to preach on that one. The Father said not tonight. So... He loved well all kinds of people. And then number five, you see a question mark, because I'm not ready to give it to you yet. I want to talk to you from a personal point, because I want to set something in concrete so that you fully understand that I understand. Okay, The subject matter that I'm about to address, I know very, very well. My wife will testify that I know it very, very well on a personal level. 37 years of ministry, I know it even better, a pastoral ministry. But on a personal level, growing up in an abusive, violent home with alcoholics, up through into my teen years, crazy stuff went on. I saw things no kid should see. I experienced things no kid should have experienced. But what I'm about to address, I know the power of how it will deliver you, set you free, and it will actually deliver people who cause the problem. I know it well, so do not, do not let the deceiver, Satan, tell you. Don't listen to him when I start addressing the issue. Don't let him tell you he doesn't understand, he doesn't get it. I get it, and I do understand. 
And I understand that this particular subject that I'm going to address, that God says we've got to do better at in the church, that you may have to get two or three people to walk alongside you so you can walk it out and walk into the fullness of it. I had a bunch of somebodies help me. And two of them over there know my story. Yeah, there was a bunch of somebody's had to help me. So I get it. So what I am saying to you tonight, do not let the enemy shut you off from the truth that I'm about to speak. Now, before I give you number five, in Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, pause. I can pull that off the screen for a moment. Seven times. I got to meditate on that one time. I thought, man, you know what? I bet if Peter ever did it once was a big deal. Seven times had to seem like, you know, an eternity to him. Big deal. Now let's finish scripture. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now let's do the math with that. I've got my brother sitting right here. Something happens here, and I've got to, I gotta, I gotta forgive him 77 times, and then I've got to forgive you 77 times, and I've got to forgive you 70. It adds up in a hurry. You say 77 times, no big deal. Oh, yeah, multiply that by the hundreds of people that we think have hurt us, bothered us, and caused us to think we've got to deal with unforgiveness. Come on. Now it moves from 77 to thousands. Jesus, to me, was stating for the rest of your life, Peter, you are to forgive people. Did Jesus forgive? None of us have experienced that. Number five, he loved well, but he forgave people even better. He loved well, but he forgave people even better. Those are goals. Those are the things that I want to leave as a legacy to my four kids, my two son-in-laws, my daughter-in-law, our seven grandchildren, and number eight's on the way, so I want them to know it. I want to leave that legacy to them Because in the end of things, the money, the wealth, the physical assets will not get them through the things they're going to face. They need character. They need values. And they need a spiritual impact in their life that will get them through so they can impact others. Anybody agree? You're saying there's no, money's no, I didn't say that. You can send me all you want, but it's, you know, it's, it's not what I'm talking about. I think sometimes we get to looking at legacy from a physical asset, wealth, and money, and we forget the next generation needs something way more. They're lacking in values. Come on. Lacking in character. Lacking in spiritual impact. And guess who you got to look up the chain at and who's, who, who's responsible? We've got to set the model, amen? And we've got to set something in place that will keep me on track to the legacy I want to leave. So what I want to talk to you tonight about is leaving a legacy of forgiveness. And that was number two 
that God said the church has got to do better at forgiving. Church has got to do better at forgiving. And I know there are some things that some people are going through that is just, I know, (laughs) okay, been there. Also, pastoring 37 years, I know. You may have to get several somebodies to walk with you in this to that place of forgiveness, but I know the power of forgiveness. I know what it did in my life, and I know how it changed other people's lives. So stay with me. Will we be committed to leave such a legacy? Commitment defined out of the dictionary of Bible themes, a state of personal dedication to something. My wife will tell you, as I know she is, we do, I'm saying this in front of you again, I'm saying this to continue the process of holding myself accountable to what I've just stated to you. That it takes a commitment to be dedicated to something, and I'm dedicated to these five points. I'm dedicated to it. I know some people who thought they were going to hijack the vision, weren't real excited about how dedicated I was to what God said in other areas too. Forgiveness out of the dictionary of Bible themes says this, the freeing of a person from guilt, its consequences including punishment, usually an act of favor, compassion, or love. You know, I put in there, I hope it is said that I loved well, but I forgave even better because you know what that is stating is that I showed greater favor, greater compassion, and greater love by forgiving. It's an important thing to meditate on and dedicate yourself to. Forgiveness in the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says a term used to indicate pardon for a fault or an offense. Pardon for a fault or an offense. You grow up in the world that I grew up in and my wife got to kind of see it a little bit in the distance and years later on and realize how real it was and watched what God did in my life through me making the decision, I will forgive and let go. And walking out that forgiveness, the power of that radically changed my life and eventually changed those that caused the pain. I got to watch that happen. But guess who had to walk in it first? The one who had the knowledge of it, like you have tonight, that this is something we've got to do. We've got to walk in forgiveness. You have to. Church, we have to. If we're going to reach the world, they've got to see a whole different way of life from us. Walk in forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 and 22, in my mind, is one of the most powerful statements that Jesus made because he's talking about forgiveness, one of the most difficult things for people to do. People struggle with living a crucified life, but to live the crucified life means we've got to live a life of forgiveness. And, but it's something that is seen and looked at, but rarely lived out. 
And that's got to change in the church in 2023. We've got to live it out. We've got to walk it out. I'm not going to go here because I don't have time to develop this, but sometimes we don't realize that we get offended over some really dumb stuff sometimes. And then it moves from there to now all of a sudden we're in a state of unforgiveness against somebody. Are you with me? And we've got to be careful with that. The Bible tells us very clearly we've got to guard our hearts. Would you say in the world we live in, in America, that we're, we're really having to wake up every day guarding our hearts? Oh, yeah. We need to guard our hearts. Pen truth number, my next pen truth is a person with an unforgiving heart and spirit is always the real loser. Some people have a trouble with that, but I, I experience this reality. A person with an unforgiving heart and spirit is always the real loser, much more than the one against whom we hold the unforgiveness. Because when I'm walking in unforgiveness as a Christian, with the knowledge that the Father is telling me to forgive, I'm already blocking things that I am in need of. And guess what? One of the things that I'm blocking and is getting stripped from me is joy. I become the loser because <laughs> I lose my joy. You can't stay in unforgiveness and, and say I, you have real joy. You don't. And that person over there doesn't even know that you're suffering. They don't even know most of the time that you haven't forgiven them. But you're over here in it, and you're the one losing. Are you with me so far? Now, I'm going to share with you six things that unforgiveness hinders. Well, seven, and then I'm going to add an eighth one. Number one, your prayers. How does it hinder them? You pray differently when you've got unforgiveness. I don't think I need to develop that any further. I think that landed right where it needed to land. Number two, it blocks your dreams. You, get, you start giving up on them because you don't think you can get there. Robs you of your true destiny. Steals your joy, which I've talked about. It affects your growth in Christ. It does. It affects your growth. I kept whining about it. Man, I'm not growing. I'm not changing. I'm not doing. You know, the one thing you don't want to do is go to Rochelle whining. <laughs> we have a saying at NEC that was started by our worship leader. Be careful. You'll get Rochelled. That means the word of God's coming. Not her opinion. She's going to strike you with the word. And you better pay attention. And Rochelle would just look at me and say, well, if you would forgive, if you would forgive, if you would forgive, and of course, here comes the excuses, you don't understand, you don't get it, you don't know the pain, you don't know what I went through, you don't want to, if you would forgive, here's the truth, I get it, but we cannot push that aside and say, this is where I'm going to land over here, and that's this is, this, is, this, is it. this is it, man. This is where I'm at in the unforgiveness, and you don't get it. You don't understand. We cannot step away from the truth of the gospel over here that says that I am to forgive. I have to forgive. 
It was amazing. I'll never forget, man. You know, first time I gave, I forgave, I came and told her, I said, I feel so free. And she's looking at me like, finally. <laughs> It'll be peaceful around the house for a little while as I continue to work through other things. Affects your growth. Your fruitfulness is diminished, diminishes. Your fruitfulness will diminish. These are things I've found. These are things I've experienced. But number seven, most of all, your relationship with God suffers. Now, let me add number eight, the one that we don't think about. Unforgiveness affects our health and mental well-being. Unforgiveness affects our health and our mental well-being. That's a truth, an absolute truth. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness ends up controlling all these things. And it's working over time to steal the blessings that God is trying to give to you. I want the amazing right here, right now. And I'm going to choose to walk in forgiveness. I don't want it blocked. Well, I guess you don't ever have anything really big happen to you. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> we do. But you have to make a choice. You got to make a choice. I made the comment last week to live the crucified life. We've got to live in conscious remembrance of the cross. And that's how you're going to live a life of forgiveness. You've got to be in constant, conscious memory of the cross. Next pin truth. Unforgiveness by its nature prevents individuals from following through on what God expects in our Christian life. Unforgiveness kept me from everything God was expecting me to do. It was just, I was just constantly stumbling and falling and had setbacks, and it was because I wouldn't forgive. So I know what I'm talking about. I experienced it. I walked through it. I walked it out, and I watched what forgiving did. It opened the path wide open so I could go do all that God was wanting me to do. Who in here has a heart to do all that God wants you to do? You got to walk in forgiveness. Here's some other things that I have learned about unforgiveness. When one chooses not to forgive one person or persons, it spills over and acts like a cancer on other relationships. And here's what I found the end result to be. It creates chaos that didn't exist until you chose not to forgive. It spills over into all of our relationships. It spills over at work, spills over at home, it spills over everywhere. Unforgiveness, you, don't, you may not realize it, but it's just coming out and spilling out and jumping on and landing on other people than yourself. That's why we need to walk in forgiveness 
Because why? We love people. We need to love people so much that we don't want to walk in unforgiveness. I don't want them to be impacted by something that will be negative to them, so I'm going to address my unforgiveness. Does that make sense? That's loving people. When's the last time you thought about loving people by being a person who walked in forgiveness? It's loving people. The problem with this happening is that all of a sudden, many are left feeling hurt and wounded, and we don't even realize it. It's important that we live a life that forgives others. And here's another thing. This, this came from, I'm going to say it a little different than my wife said it to me. She said it very bluntly, very raw. At the time, I'm going to say it to you a little differently. If you're waiting for the other person to ask forgiveness first, you've already missed the boat that went by with God's blessings. God has blessings abundantly for you, but you need to forgive. My next bit of truth is forgiveness should be like a canceled note, torn in two, burned up, so that it can never be shown again, ever. Ever. You know what? You probably ought to take some of that, and when you forgive somebody, pin it down, and let it be a memorial stone of the delivering power of God when you ask forgiveness and you forgive. Here's a memorial stone of the power. When I forgave this person over here, here's what God did for me. Here's the doors that opened up that I couldn't even see because I was blinded by unforgiveness. Did you hear what I just said? I couldn't see them. The doors were open. I couldn't see them. Because I'm blinded by unforgiveness. Two truths about unforgiveness that I have learned. Unforgiveness imprisons you. It imprisons you. Now, it dictates your future. It starts dictating your day. It dictates your thoughts. And it robs you of your rest. Because now it's taking control. Unforgiveness provokes stress, anxiety, depression, insecurity, fear, hard-hearted heart, anger, resentment, bitterness, and even hatred. That's just a few of the things I went through. I could have listed a lot more. That's what unforgiveness will do. And I'm sure my wife could add 10 more to that. What unforgiveness was doing in my life. But the moment that I started walking in forgiveness, all of that went away. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. I ask the question, what type of legacy are you going to leave? Same verse, different translation. The one who forgives an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Again, what type of legacy do you want to leave? One more time, Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or harps on a matter separates even close friends. Question, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? I want to leave a legacy that has life-changing values, character, and spiritual impact. That's what I want to leave. 
Our son is the executor of our will, and I told him, I said, I don't want this on my headstone. I just hope you all say this when I'm gone. You can just put on there, Dad was a great guy. You know, I don't care. But I'm serious about this, about the legacy I want to leave. And so when God speaks to me and says, Corey, and he's speaking to me first, Corey, there's some things the church needs to clean up. I'm not thinking of all the people. I'm thinking of myself at that moment. And the first thing is, the church has got to clean up and do a better job of living a crucified life. I'm looking inwardly. Where am I in that? And then secondly, the church has got to do better at forgiving people. Because you know what? You've got to live the crucified life to do that. Jesus forgave, and he did absolutely nothing wrong. He's our model. We think Jesus did that, but we get off the, we get off the hook of responsibility, but we do not. We are responsible to walk in forgiveness. Three truths about forgiveness. Forgiveness offered, uh, forgiving others gives you the freedom to be happy again. Forgiving others gives you the power to create a better future. Forgiving others removes the wall of unforgiveness that has erected between you and God and others. I can say other people or just others. It removes the walls that you didn't even realize were there. When I started walking in forgiveness, all of a sudden people started coming around me. And I was like, what's going on? And they said, well, we don't know what was going on with you, but we didn't want to be around you. And it all changed when I started forgiving. When I started forgiving. I'm going to share with you my final statement that I've penned tonight. Last week we had a declaration. We made a declaration tonight. The declaration's a little bit different. One of the most giving things you can do is forgive people. Not an easy gift. But then again, the very nature of giving involves sacrifice. Correct? Most gifts include the sacrifice of time or money. Forgiveness cannot be measured in either time or money. It consists in the laying down of our life, a.k.a. the crucified life. The church must respond like Jesus and choose to extend grace, love, and forgiveness to one person or many. And we're living in a time where we're having to forgive many, church. And we need to be heading up the, the train on that one, being out front. And leave a legacy of forgiveness. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I know that some of you that are in here tonight could be facing some things where this is not the most simple thing to do. But if there's one thing I know about Turning Point Church and Pastor Jeff and Cindy and the rest of the staff that's here, they'll walk that journey with you. And you don't have to walk it alone. And they'll walk with you through this journey of forgiving and stay with you until you get there. 
I had more than one somebody stayed with me until I got there. But when you get there, it's worth every step. And other people's lives will change because of your decision to forgive. So what happens in this moment that you're standing is that you need to make a personal decision. I could have an altar call and some of you would come down, maybe most of you, maybe none of you. (laughs) That's not what is important. I'm going to tell you what's important is right where you're sitting right now, right where you're standing right now, making that decision right there is more important between you and Father God. And telling Him, I hear you. (laughs) I hear you. You're telling me I've got to up the game on living the crucified life. I've got to clean that up. I have got to do that better. And I hear you. I need to start forgiving some folks tonight, right now, this moment. I hear you. I hear you, Father, but I'm struggling with forgiving. But you're in a place, a safe place, where you just need to speak up and reach out, and somebody's going to walk with you. But I also believe that in the next few moments, God can just end it when you ask forgiveness and you forgive and it can be done do you believe in the power of that I do I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst right now that can do that so I'm going to ask you for just a few moments to just do what you do best so let's close your eyes or you just stand there and whatever you do when you like to get along with God in a, in a room like this And let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Let Him search your heart. Self-examination. Father, as we stand before you tonight, we hear you. You're telling the church that we need to clean up some things, but you're telling them we've got to get better at some things that the church is supposed to be doing and what the church is supposed to stand for. And one of those things is is that we're supposed to live the crucified life. And in that, we need to live a life of forgiveness. That it will be said of us, yes, they loved well, but they forgave even better. Because that's what you did. You more than loved well, but man, you forgave even better. And Father, I thank you for this example. I thank you for the model of how we should live our Christian life. And now, Father, as those that are with me here tonight, I lift my hands before you, God, and I just surrender. I surrender to you and say, I hear you. I surrender to living the crucified life. I surrender my will to your will. And I surrender my pain, my hurt, all that's tied to that. And I choose right now to forgive.
And Father, my declaration tonight is, yes, I want to love well, but I want to be known that I forgave even better. My declaration to you, Father, is in Jesus' name, I declare I will walk in forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Amen.